In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, I am going to share my thoughts on the top second round steals. I mean, I think some teams really, really got some good players in the second round. So stay tuned to hear my thoughts on the players that I think will have a first round grade when it's all said and done. Big shout out to each and every person that's made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you are a first time user, you can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100, but you got to use the promo code Locked On. That is slash promo code Locked On. I'm Rafael Barlow, your host, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board, and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, and it has been a week. It has been a week since the 2023 NBA Draft, and there's so much to discuss about the draft that hasn't been discussed, and I want to talk about the players that were drafted in the second round that I think could possibly provide first-round value, or at least let let me rephrase that. In five years from now, they will be in the top 30 prospects in this class in a redraft. So five guys that I think slipped to the second round that will provide first-round value in, let's say, five years from now. All right, let's start off with James Nagy. James Nagy was selected by the Pistons, but he was traded to the Hornets. He's in a situation where Charlotte right now has three bigs and Mark Williams, Nick Richards, and now James Nagy. But I thought James Nagy was a first-rounder think he has a very projectable NBA role as a, a rim runner, a finisher, a defender. And he's going to have to find minutes earlier in his career. But I think, again, in five years, I think James Nagy will be at least a rotation big, maybe even a starter in the NBA. So I thought he was one of the players that stood out to me. Now, one of the biggest surprises of the draft for me was Jalen Pickett going number 32 to the Pacers. Well, he was traded to the Nuggets, but the Pacers made the pick. I was shocked by that. Now, Pickett was very, very productive. I know um, Brad Underwood from Illinois said he plays booty ball, and Pickett has a unique style of play. He likes to back guys down. It's kind of like the old school NBA. I think in that like Mark Jackson era, I think he would be in a first-round pick. But he's big, he's strong, and even though he's not, like, extremely tall, I think he measured out, like, 6'2", he has a long wingspan, but he rebounds. It seems like he's been in college basketball forever. It seems like he tested the waters, like, three or four years ago. But I was shocked there. I think for him, it's going to depend on the fit. If he finds a team that lets him handle the ball and kind of control the offense, where he can back his man down and, and... attract double team because he can definitely see the floor he rebounds I think that he could be someone that provides first round value and then there's Leonard Miller Leonard Miller is a player that I thought was a first round pick I still to this day a week later feel like Leonard Miller should have been a first round pick I had him mocked going to the Nets at 20 this is what I don't understand Leonard Miller averaged 17 and 10 in the G League. He rebounded. He played a totally different role than I expected him to play. I mean, we're talking about a guy that played like 
Rhode Island Lamar Odom in high school adjusts to a new role in the G League, puts up numbers. Now, if a guy can put up 17 and 10 in the G League and he only gets a second round grade or gets picked in the second round, I just don't, I'm just, I just don't know what that means about the evaluation of the G League. Because we saw it last year with Jaden Hardy. Jaden Hardy averaged 14 a game, and he ended up falling to the second round. So if the benefit of the G League is playing against grown men and better competition, but if you put up good numbers against better competition and you still fall to the second round, to me that's confusing. Maybe teams really fully don't understand how to evaluate the G League. But Leonard Miller was the best prospect on the Ignite at the end of the season. Yes, you heard it correctly. He was the best prospect, at least playing the best, for the Ignite at the end of the season. In March, it was like 23 points, 22 points, 13 rebounds, 64, like 55, 90 shooting splits. I was at a game where he had 20 points and 20 rebounds. I just don't understand why Leonard Miller fell. I think he's definitely going to provide first-round value down the line. Maybe because he doesn't seem like a high-energy guy. Like, if you ever, like, see him walking around or just kind of see him moving off the, around the court, he just looks like he's kind of, like, you know, just kind of slowly moving around. Doesn't look like he's a maximum effort guy, but he's a tremendous rebounder, especially on the offensive glass. I just think teams are overthinking it there. Then there's Kobe Jones, who was traded to the Kings. He was someone that I thought, at least for the majority of the draft cycle, would be a first-round pick, at least late first. But I actually had him going to the Kings in one of my mocks. I think for him, he's a guy that just does a little bit of everything, rebounds, passes. The concern is the three-point shot. Shot a good percentage this year, but if he can become more consistent as a three-point shooter, I definitely think he is someone that can help a team and provide some value as like this glue guy that just does all the little things. And teams need versatile wings, and that's what... Kobe Jones definitely has. Julian Phillips, uh, there's at one point I thought he could go in the first round. I was actually told by somebody that some of the teams that were targeting him in the first round when they made trades, that kind of affected him. He has the talent. I think he can defend. Whether or not he, he gets the shot to fall or, I mean, that's, that's debatable. But I, I do think that there is a chance that he could provide first round value. And then let's go to Jordan Walsh. Jordan Walsh is a guy that a lot of people liked as, uh, you know, I think most people had him mocked as a second rounder. The defense is what is going to get him on the floor early. He's 6'7", long wingspan. He's athletic. I think if he's able to show someone like the, the ball moving and the passing skills that he showed in high school, I think that will, will definitely help him out and give him the opportunity where he can you know, end up providing like first round value. I heard that in his workout with the Celtics, which is the team that ended up, they, they, he got drafted by the Kings, but he ended up getting traded to Boston. I heard that in their workout, he shot 72 out of 100 from three. And so I have this theory, whatever guy shoots on a 100 drill, I divide it in half and say that's probably like his best case scenario as a shooter. So if you look at Jordan Walsh, and if he shot 72 out of 100 and you divide that in half, that means maybe he could end up being at least the league average three-point shooter. Now, if he's league average from deep, especially in the corners, with his athleticism and defense, 
that is definitely a first round value. And so I, I like to pick there, I like to trade. I imagine he's going to spend a lot of the season in Maine, but with, with the Maine Red Claws, which is the Boston Celtics G League team. But I do think that there is a chance that Jordan Walsh could provide first round value. And then at pick number 39, it was Muhammad Gay. And Muhammad Gay is a late bloomer. The way he moves and just glides up and down the floor, I mean, you don't see guys at that size move the way he moves. I like this pick. He was traded to Atlanta. There's really not much of an opportunity, at least the way the roster is constructed today, to get some playing time. So I imagine he's going to have to play some time at College Park, which is the Hawks G League team. There's some teams I would have loved to see him go to because I think that he has the potential to be a floor spacer, a shot blocker. He's very, very skilled, a little raw, which is understandable because he's only been playing for a few years. So I think Muhammad Gay in the right situation could also provide first round value. I know I skipped a couple guys. I skipped Andre Jackson who was traded to the Bucks and Hunter Tyson. I think Hunter's in a situation where maybe Denver, because he can shoot the ball, it's just a tough roster to crack, tough rotation. You still got Christian Brown. You still have um, Peyton Watson from last year. I imagine they're going to bring in a veteran. Maybe when Jeff Green retires, he can slide in that role. But he does provide something that every team needs, which is size and shooting. And then Andre Jackson... Is a player that I like. I'm just not a big fan of the fit to the Bucks. Maybe with their outside shooting, maybe they'll they'll find a way to 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 get him some playing time. But I love his defense. I love his athleticism as far as like rebounding and pushing the ball up the court. He actually kind of plays like a mini Giannis in a sense, where he's not necessarily going to beat you outside. And let, let me rephrase this. I don't want somebody to think I'm crazy. I say he plays like a mini Giannis in a sense where he's going to get the rebound and he's going to push the ball up court and and, and just thrives in transition. Like, now, he's not going to be getting a rebound, taking two dribbles and dunking like Giannis does. Doesn't have the same mindset of attacking and just punishing you aggressively and, and dunking on you getting downhill like Giannis in transition. But as far as just being able to get a rebound, push the ball, find the right, find the open man, make the right play, someone that just thrives in the open court. I think that's where he is a little similar to Giannis. All right, when we return, I want to talk about the guy that I think is the biggest steal in the second round. The guy that I think is going to make so many GMs scratch their head and wonder where did we go wrong here? Stay tuned to find out who it is, but I want to talk to you about prize picks because with prize picks, it's basically daily fantasy made easy. All you have to do is pick two to six players, and you will pick and choose if they will score more or less than their prize picks projection, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It is just you versus the projections available, and prize picks offers projections on any sport you watch, NBA, NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, college basketball, women's college basketball, college football, soccer, WNBA. I mean, the list goes on. And again, all you do is play against the projections. 
The entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It's fast. You can get your money out quickly. And it is currently operational in over 30 states and our neighbors to the north in Canada. All you have to do is download the PrizePix app. Go to prizepix.com, sign up, and play daily fantasy sports. If you are a first-time user, you get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100, but you have to use the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't do not do not forget to enter the promo code Locked On and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Big thank you for making Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. If you are an everydayer, tomorrow on the show, going to preview Summer League. Summer League is like a big event that all NBA draft fans that, you know, we, we just love Summer League. It's kind of like the conclusion of the draft cycle. So we'll have a Summer League preview and it will be the California, I think it's the California Classic. Then there's the Utah Summer League, and then, of course, there's the Summer League in Las Vegas, which I will be at in Las Vegas with these ridiculous hotel prices, but I'll be in Las Vegas from Friday through early Tuesday, so if you're there, send me a message on on Twitter, and, you know, maybe we can meet up and connect, because I, I want to meet my listeners. I want to meet who's, who's listening and just share some NBA draft thoughts and opinions. So anyway, shoot me a message. Hit me up. I will be in Las Vegas if I can figure out these ridiculous hotel prices because I think it's the Wimbenyama effect. It has to be the Wimbenyama effect that is making these hotel prices skyrocket. I heard some. I had someone tell me that the same hotel that they stayed in last year, the price has tripled. So Wimbenyama, you got to play that first weekend. Sounds like he is, but... Man, these prices are crazy. All right. Now I want to talk about the guy that I think is going to be the biggest steal of the 2023 NBA draft in the second round. And it is Maxwell Lewis. Max is in an ideal situation for a second rounder going to the Lakers because he can shoot. And if you can shoot, you can play alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I think he'll be able to provide some outside shooting. The biggest concern is... Defense, that was the knock on him that he wasn't a good defender. I also think he failed because there are teams that may believe that he was a guy that just put up empty calorie stats, good stats on a bad team. Pepperdine did not win a lot of games when he played, and I think he got penalized for it. But as far as the ability to knock down open shots, create off the dribble, finish in transition, athleticism, he has it all. I definitely think that teams are going to regret dropping Maxwell Lewis into the second round. This is a big win for the Lakers. I even think that Maxwell Lewis can even have like an Austin Reeves type trajectory in a sense. A guy that I don't want to say comes out of nowhere, but basically just works his way up the rotation. And the next thing you know, in, in year two or year three, he's playing 20, 25 minutes per game. I am that high on Maxwell Lewis. So I think Maxwell Lewis or Max Lewis is the biggest steal of the 2023 NBA draft in the second round. All right, Tristan Vucevic. 
to the Wizards. I think that is an interesting, interesting situation for him. The Wizards are in total rebuild mode, and with them rebuilding, I think there's a chance that he could actually get a decent amount of playing time this year. Wizards, Wizards, Wizards it was hard to say. They might be the new international team. You figure they got Bilal Koulibaly. You figure Denny Abdia is going to play. Tristan Vucevic might play. They, they might look like the Thunder a couple years back when they had all the international guys. I think there is a chance that, that he can provide first-round value because he can shoot the ball. He has good size. He's definitely going to need to get stronger. I'm not 100% sure of if he's going to be stashed. I know that he wants to play in the in the NBA this year. I think that was kind of like the the deal that if you draft him, you got to give him an opportunity to play. So I wonder is he going to play for the for the Capital City Go Go or is he going to be a, a roster player for the Wizards? But I I think there is a lot of talent there. Again, he needs to get stronger, but I think his role as a, a pick and pop big and he's also a pretty good athlete. So I, I do think that there is a chance that he can provide first round value down the line. I skipped over Amari Bailey, who was selected by the Hornets at number 41. And Amari Bailey was a guy that I did not like at all in high school. I was not a fan of his game. I thought he was selfish. I thought he was a guy that was just an aggressive one-on-one -on -one score. I didn't see him playing like a team game, even though I know you can say, well, he played for Sierra Canyon. They had other good players around him. I just thought that he was someone that knew how to score. I knew he could put the ball in the basket, but I didn't know how his game would translate. And again, I did not like him at all. If you saw my scouting report on him, you would be like, this guy hates this kid. I don't hate him. I just was not a fan of his game. And as the season got went on, he got better. He got better. And then at the combine, I'm like, wait a minute. This guy can play point guard. He can make the right reads. He can pass. And I think that if he played an entire season as the starting point guard, I think he would have been a first-round pick. He showed that he can make the right reads. He can get to his spots. Jump shot is a little bit questionable, but I think the upside is there, and he could be somebody. I don't know if it's going to be in Charlotte unless they have some injuries. I think there's a few guys that are going to get opportunities ahead of him. But I think that he could be somebody that can give you a first-round production in five years. All right, the next player, Ryan Rupert, man. I feel sorry for Ryan. He was the last guy in the green room. And it, it's just tough. If, if you, especially being at the draft, it's tough seeing a guy that he, he's there with his family and the, all the other tables are gone. All the other players are selected. They're back during media. And he's just there with his family sitting at the table so i know that was tough but the crowd in brooklyn gave him like a huge ovation when his name was called i thought that was very classy another thing that i thought was very classy is and i and i i know buna buna Inja, his agent he's a friend of mine and i'm not saying this because i know him personally and he's a friend of mine but i thought one of the classiest things that i saw at the combine was when ryan was drafted Buna was still there at the table. Now you may say, well, that's what an agent is supposed to do. But Buna represents Victor Wimbayama and Bilal Koulibaly. So he could have easily been in the back doing all the media with, with those guys. I mean, this is 
this this is as big as it is for Wimbayama, this is like you can make a case and say this is Buna's day too. We're talking about an independent African French agent that's independent, doesn't have like the big, you know, names behind him as far as like agency. He had the first pick and the seventh pick. He's a guy that you never hear him being talked about. So this could have been his moment to soak up the attention because he had the guy that people are saying is the next great prospect to enter the NBA. And instead of being there with, with, with Victor and Bilal doing the media tour and, and all the pictures and all that, he was there with Ryan, who was the 43rd pick and the last guy in the green room. So I thought that was classy. But I think Ryan could provide first-round value for Portland down the line, or maybe not necessarily Portland, but whatever team he's on because he is a great defender. And that's one thing that most teams knew that he was a defender. Long wingspan, he's athletic. He can pass. He can handle the ball a lot better than he gets credit for. And I, I just think teams may have been concerned about the shooting. He, he only shot about 27% from three. And I know he missed time with like a wrist injury. But I think that he is someone that can provide first round value down the line because teams value wing defenders. And if he can knock down open shots, then I definitely think he's going to be at the minimum a rotation player in the NBA, but he's a very mature guy, very mature. We're talking about someone that was 18 years old or 19 years old and spent the entire season living in Australia, away from his family, living by himself, didn't really know English. And so I think that that maturity is going to help him, along with being a pro early, help him speed up the process of adjusting to the NBA. But I think Ryan Rupert is someone that can provide first round value. All right. When we return, I'll name five more players, five more guys that I think could have a first-round grade in a redraft five years from now, maybe even sooner. Stay tuned. All right, last segment. I want to talk about five more players that were selected in the second round that I believe in a redraft could have a first-round grade because – in reality, there's going to be five to seven, maybe even ten guys selected in the first round that are going to fizzle out. I don't know who, but I mean, you just look at history and you can see that it's going to happen. I mean, there's one draft. I think it's 2017 draft. I feel like that almost half of that draft class in the first round is out of the NBA. I don't know what was going on in 2017, but almost half of that class is out. So I think that there could be, at least in this class, because I think the range was so wide, I think there could be maybe five to seven guys selected in the first round that could be out of the league in four years. And I think there's five to seven, maybe even ten guys in the second round that could still be in the league and get second contracts. All right, so the first player that I want to talk about in this second or this last segment is City Sissoko. I think City Sissoko is someone that I thought was a first-round grade. He's, he's big at 6'7". He can handle the ball. He's a natural playmaker. Didn't get the opportunity to play as a playmaker and with the Ignite. But I thought he was really turning the corner in the second half of the season. And again, we're talking about a situation where I don't know if NBA teams fully know how to evaluate the Ignite. City Sissoko was more productive 
playing for the Ignite than some players were playing in college basketball. So again, what is the message here? And the Ignite have a whole new, I don't want to call it an issue, but maybe dilemma for next year because I, mean, I think they have eight guys. Eight guys with first-round potential, maybe seven. But they got a lot of guys that they have to put on one team. And I think next year is going to be a huge year for the Ignite. But that's a totally different subject. But anyway, I thought City Sissoko should have been a first-round pick. He can pass. He has size. He can defend. And he turned the corner in the second half of the year and was second in the G League in dunks out of all the wing players, which if you've known City or have watched him in years prior, that is a huge jump as far as the aggressiveness and how assertive he is. All right, at 45, and this is a guy that I know everybody wants me to talk about what happened. I had him as a top five player at one point. I'm a huge fan. I'm probably driving the Gigi Jackson bandwagon, and everybody wants to know, why did he fall to number 45? And I've talked to a lot of teams. I knew he was he was falling. The biggest concern is his age. He's and well. Let me let me rephrase that. The biggest concern is his maturity. Everybody that I've talked to loves the talent, loves the game. Actually, heard one guy say, "Man, if we pass on him, are we going to regret it?" I've also heard one team say that. He's so young and he's so immature right now that he's going to make the second team look good. They said the first team that selects him, they're going to have to deal with the immaturity and him growing up. But nobody said as if he's like a bad kid or a bad person or he's going to have some real off-the-court issues. They're just saying that he is just really immature and not ready to be a professional. One team told me, this is a guy that's going to miss flights. This is a guy that is going to have a hard time adjusting, in a sense, being around all grown men because he's such a happy-go-lucky, fun kid. And it hurt him. I think it hurt him. Now, on another hand, I heard someone say that, yes, he's immature, and no, he's not ready, but they felt like maybe a year in college maybe would have made it worse because he would have had all the attention, and a lot of people would have thought he was a top five pick in next year's draft. He would have had the focus of being probably the best returning player in college basketball. I feel like he would have had a lot more attention, which may have delayed him maturing and growing up a little more. And so they feel like falling to 45, knowing that he was a first round talent, even maybe lottery talent, may speed up the process with him maturing and growing up maybe playing in the G League for the Memphis Hustle, riding the bus, and, and just starting from scratch could be the best thing for him as far as maturing. But again, I knew he was falling. He had a wide range of teams that he worked out for. I want to say almost every team in the lottery he worked out for. And I heard a lot of the feedback. A lot of the feedback was just like, man, this kid is talented, but 
he is not ready. He's not ready. One team said he's not ready, but man, he's 18. And I've heard multiple teams say, yes, the first team, you're going to have to go through all the growing pains, the immaturity. You're, you're going to have your hands full. But they said the second team is going to benefit, and the second team could benefit with a guy that can contribute to be one of the best players in the league. And then they're like, maybe the third contract is a max contract. So I'm still high on Gigi. It is going to be an interesting situation because – I think, you know, Memphis is the team that people have talked about that doesn't have veteran leaders. And they point out the John Morant situation. I think that's kind of unfair in a sense because Desmond Bain is really mature. Jaron Jackson Jr. Is, is really mature. And so I don't necessarily put all the blame on the Grizzlies. I do think that they kind of enabled John Morant, which I think every team probably would have done the same thing as far as enabling him. And he was able to get away with some stuff. Uh, the concern I do have, and I'll, I'll say it here on the podcast, and I'll say it to you know the people that I know that are around Gigi and even Gigi. My, my concern is Gigi's from South Carolina. John Moran is from South Carolina. I don't know if I, I'd want Gigi to, to look up to John Morant in a sense and follow John Morant's lead. Which is something that can definitely happen. I mean, I've heard stories, and this is a long rant here. I've heard stories of players that play with Allen Iverson. Back when Iverson was in Denver and Philly, they were young guys. And Iverson may have been, you know, in his late 20s or whatever. And maybe even mid-20s. And some of the players that were his young teammates looked up to him. Like they had Iverson posters, they wore braids. They wore the shoes, and then now they become his teammate. And when Iverson said, hey, man, we going out, they went out. And they tried to live Iverson's lifestyle, in a sense, and, and, and do what he did. But Iverson was a one-on-one. Like, I've heard stories that he could party till 5 o'clock in the morning and still come out and drop 40. So I said all that to say this. My fear is that, and I mean, John Morant's going to be able to get away with a lot because he is John Morant. My fear is that Gigi and maybe Ja has changed. I mean, you you would hope that this 25 game suspension and all the negative stuff surrounding his name has has made him change his ways. So my my fear is that you got a, a young player that a lot of people are saying is really immature, and you put him on a team where the star player is not the leader off the court. And they have ties from being in the same state and connections. I think that could be a recipe for disaster, which will affect Gigi more than it will affect John Morant. But anyway, that was a long rant about Gigi Jackson. All right, three more players. Imani Bates, who was selected 49th by the Cavs. I think he has an opportunity to be a to have a first-round grade five years from now. Has the skill set. Has... Everything that you want out of a score, he can create off the dribble. He has deep range. What's interesting is Imani's situation is a little bit similar to Gigi's. Like, he reclassified up. And so you have two cases of of two guys that were really highly touted, arguably the top player in their draft class. They reclassified up, and it did not benefit them. It almost 
sounds like they would have been better staying in their class having that extra year of developing in high school maybe even at like a prep school away from home where you kind of grew up a little bit and maybe that would have helped because i think both guys talking about imani and Gigi, i think both guys just in my estimations if they made different decisions i think they lost like 20 million dollars guaranteed that's a lot of money but i think imani bates could, could definitely have a first round grade all right trace jackson davis who fell to 57 going to the warriors it's, it's a situation where it sucks that he fell to 57. I thought he should have went at least 20 picks higher at the minimum. But I think he's like the rare rookie that is selected at the very back end of the draft. That could find a role and find some minutes, not only on an NBA team, but a team that is competing for a championship. He rebounds, he passes, he protects the rim. Warriors need some size. I think he can help. I don't understand why he fell. I do not understand why he fell. I think there are going to be a bunch of teams that regret Trace Jackson Davis or passing up Trace Jackson Davis. Um, a few other guys I want to talk about, so I've named in this last segment, City, Gigi, Trace Jackson Davis, and Imani Bates. The last player that I think could have a first-round grade is Seth Lundy. Just because teams need shooting and movement shooting, and Seth Lundy's one of the better shooters in this draft class. I think when it's all said and done, he can help a team, whether it's the Hawks or another team down the line. Teams really value wing shooting, and I think with his experience, he's able to come in and, and help right away if given the opportunity. Atlanta may not be the team that gives him the opportunity because they have so many wings and so many miles to feed there, but I do think Seth Lundy is a player that five years from now when we go back and look at this draft he will he has a very 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 good chance of being one of the top 30 players all right that wraps up this episode again in the next episode we are going to preview summer league one of my favorite times of year once again it's rafael barlow nba big board nba draft junkies and i am i'm out